All right, let's start in five seconds. Four, three, two, one, go. Don't you give me a countdown. I'll start on my own damn time. How dare you? <laughs> Anyway, welcome to Ranking 76, where we're ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. There's a siren going by my apartment right now. Uh, <laughs> do you want me no, to stop? I'm just, that, I'm just that dude from um, uh, Police Academy. I make the sound. If you can throw your voice from Georgia to Connecticut, <laughs> you need to be I'm yelling. monetized. <laughs> Anyway, welcome to Ranking 76, where we're ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. I'm Eric. I'm Eric. With a stutter right now. There, I, like to, uh, I like to, you know, spread my name out just so the people can just love me more. I mean, you are, you're beloved. What can we yeah. say? <laughs> Today, we're, we've, we've definitely talked a lot about him, but now we get to go into the nitty gritty on John Henry Doc Holliday. Wait, it's it's John Henry Doc Holiday. He was not born Doc. No, he. No, I know, but is is his name John Henry Holiday? Yes, John Henry Holiday. Uh, yeah. Been doc this whole time. Which honestly, oh, he's a doctor though. He is a doctor. Yes, that is the nickname. There is also I've real so like you can't just call him John Henry Holiday, like. In the book that I use for his main biography, it's by Gary L. Roberts. It's very good for anyone who wants. It's not like last episode. Uh, this one was very, very good and well-reasoned and well-researched. Um, he he calls him John Henry, like, through half of the book. And it almost sounds like that's a perfect name for your mother to be, like, condescending to you. Like, John Henry, now don't you do anything, John Henry. Don't you be a bad boy. And that's what stuck in my head the end, every time I say John Henry. You just think he's getting in trouble? He does get in trouble. He He's kind of a... Jonathan a Henry. Boy. Ooh, Jonathan Henry, even. Yeah, right. That's a stern, stern mom name. You get your butt over here, mister. I'm going to give you a spanker. <laughs> All right. So, we're starting off with our... Our new little thing at the top, just Matt's going to show a picture of Matt of Doc Holliday. I have a couple of them for him because he only has a couple of pictures. And Matt's just going to describe what he looks like. And this one's kind of horrifying. It is that one, Matt, if you can see it. Is that, is his mustache go all the way down? Oh, no. It's, it's is, is that long? It's a very dark picture, but yes. Holy moly. That is his. He does kind of look that is menacing, thick. if you will. He, he looks he has nothing deep. like Val Kilmer. Now, Val Kilmer really uh, made him more buddy-buddy. Uh, like, buddy. Yeah. He looks kind of like a, uh, an angry, like a serious. I mean, he's he well He definitely dressed. has. He has a deep, deep set eyes. Like, those eyeballs are pushed back in that skull. Um, here's another picture. It's I think it's the same picture, but it's not mm -hmm. as dark. 
Uh, I'll show you that one. And then I'm going to show you probably my favorite picture. Mustaches must have been in. Uh, mustaches must have been um, in in times because he's got. Oh, a oh yeah. Have, one. have you not seen Tombstone? You've seen Tombstone, right? Yeah. That that wasn't just for comedic effect. So, uh, and then there's this is probably my favorite picture of him. It's very faded, um, but it like it just kind of shows you like he was kind of a ghost and like. He's very, actually, you know what? I'll give you the one inside the book. Uh, he's very, very thin man. Oh, very yeah, thin. But he was Look at those eyes, though. sick you... for most of his life, wasn't he? Or yes, he was. So. Yeah, he looks like a, he didn't joke around too much. Well, he kind of did, though. But yeah, he has he has a very stern face. Very Wild West stern face. Pour a little bit of my coffee and we can start talking about John Henry Holiday. John Henry Holiday was born on August 14th, 1851 to Aurora to a rural Georgia family with a military history that dated all the way back to the Revolutionary War. They came to Georgia about two decades earlier and settled as into an upper middle class society where his father was a druggist by profession and his mother Alice came in from a family of slaveholders and together they ran a small plantation. John Henry is born at the, really the start of the buildup of the Civil War uh, during the Compromise of 1850, which was passed just a year before his birth. While the area of Georgia isn't violent like Bleeding Kansas is going to be, it is hyper-politicized in the South, uh, and the leanings of his family will actually go towards the future Confederate government. When the Civil War breaks out, multiple family members of the holidays end up fighting for the Confederate Army, including his father, who served as a quartermaster during the First Battle of Bull Run. With his family at war, that means the running of the plantation was left to his mother Alice and John Henry, who would also assist with chores alongside with their slaves. In his free time, he would go out in the woods and hunt. Or at least he does until his mother comes home sick around 1862, probably of tuberculosis, which forced John Henry's father to resign from the army and then come home. Now, we don't know this, but like, it's not really known exactly when John Henry gets tuberculosis, but if his mother already has it, I don't think it's a big skip. To think he got it from her. And how old was he again? Uh, he's still in his teens, so like, don't think he's getting it now. But just also know they don't know how tuberculosis spreads until like the 1890s, and we're in 1862, so definitely out of close contact. Also, it's his mother; he's a teenager. Obviously, there's going to be some uh, some affection there. Right. John Henry is a teenager later in the war when his father decides to move the family away from the approaching Union Army as Sherman is about to cut right through Georgia. When the Confederates surrender in March in April 1865, the Holiday family is incredibly lucky to have every family member who fought in the war actually returns home safely. Dang, that's yeah. unheard of. That's <laughs> very, I think that's pretty rare. Because I'd there like to see the statistic on that. Yeah. Just the Holidays, actually. It's a statistic of one. <laughs> <laughs> 
But now being in the South, the holidays have to now adjust to life under Reconstruction rule with federal troops to going to be employed in the state for the next several years. John Henry's father adopts or is politically savvy enough to align himself with the Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau is a newly formed group that would help assist former slaves adjust to their freedom, which you would imagine pretty unpopular in the South during this time. Many in the South uniformly just hated the idea of it. John Henry isn't able to focus on this because his mother really starts to take a turn for the next couple months after his father joins the Freedmen's Bureau, and she unfortunately passes away in November of 1866. Pretty much, yeah, sickness, yeah. No, no, he did not. As you would imagine, this is a turning point for John Henry uh, for more than just the obvious. Tuberculosis likely just took his mother, and it kills another member of his family. I believe it was a brother. I didn't actually write down who it was. A brother or a cousin, I believe. John Henry starts uh, to turn against his father when he remarries a woman only months after his mother's death. Typically, the tradition is you get a year to do that. Uh, This was not the case for John Henry's father. Also, turns out his new stepmother is 23 years old. John Henry is like 17 so only a few years older than him wow now john henry will never forgive his father for this and turns on him and just goes into full rebellion mode and starts showing an angry streak that he had not really shown before this point i hate you i hate you yeah yeah, um... You mean big old meanie? Do you want to know how he rebels? Yeah. Now, whether he's angry at his father or the occupying Union Army, a few stories appear at this time, which could confirm... You can't really confirm John Henry was part of it, but there's enough circumstantial evidence that he was probably there. One story during a speech with a large segment of freedmen, again, former slaves... Uh, they played a, a a bunch of teenagers played a lovely practical joke with a bomb that was set out near the uh, exit to scatter the crowd. You know, because bombs are funny. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I totally do that. Yeah, that's a normal teen thing to do. Uh, the several teens were arrested. But their names weren't released to avoid family embarrassment because they were still minors. You don't say. Some of them were. Why? They weren't doing anything dangerous. No, it was a joke bomb. Confetti came out of it. <laughs> right. Three people might have died. I don't. A big I, flag was raised. A big flag came out that said "bang." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joke bomb. Joke bomb. Now. As we approach uh, 1870, John Henry is starting to look to starting to look to get out of Georgia. And there's several different reasons on why he does so. The first one we're going to talk about comes from Bat Masterson, who is no fan of Doc. And any story from Bat Masterson should be taken with at least a little bit of pinch of salt. So keep that in mind. But Masterson alleges that in his book, 
there was a disagreement with a very young Doc Holliday and uh, over a swimming hole. <laughs> very popular, uh, very popular spot for everyone to swim. If you were white, it was very popular. The, the trouble came when some black people wanted to swim in that same spot. Of course. When the black people were asked to leave, they refused, which resulted hours later in a double-barreled shotgun being shot down into the crowd. It is alleged that John Henry was at least not, if he wasn't in the group, outright shooting the gun himself. Now, the family wouldn't deny that John Henry was there. If anything, they confirmed that he was there because they, they didn't deny that this could have happened, but they definitely didn't say it didn't happen either. Yeah. So this probably happened, but just like they everything. Say, they wouldn't say, so when they were, I mean, no, he, he, he might not have been there. The, the he might family not, wouldn't, might, possibly could have, might not have been there, but I'm not saying he wasn't, wasn't not, not there. Kind of. Yeah. That's kind of like, I don't know how many backflips they had to do to bend over backwards to avoid saying it, but yeah, they wouldn't deny that the event happened. They wouldn't deny that he wasn't there. Um, and typically like, obviously the families, especially the first couple generations after are very quick to shoot down uh, almost anything, even if it's a lie. And for the family, not to say anything. All right. Um, I'm not saying he was there, but if he was there, he wouldn't have, but he wasn't, but he just might've been if he could have been there. Um, they also may have mentioned that, um, they they were shooting over their heads. They weren't shooting at them. They were shooting over their heads. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, like, you know, Timmy's only Bob. three feet tall. <laughs> he can't shoot over their head. He's aiming right at him. Joke bomb, joke shooting. Like, what? I, I'm not finding, not finding the, the humor in this somehow. Man, they are um, just like, he is just getting himself in deep. He's getting himself in trouble. Uh, now, I should say, just for the other side of the story, there are no contemporary sources or reports in the area when this happens. The story pops up in the 1920s and 30s with the revival of Wyatt Earp's reputation. So there's like everything in Tombstone. There's what may have happened, uh, but there's really you can't you can't confirm an awful lot. There's like three there's like three different stories. What we wanted to to happen what did happen and what might have happened yeah and what a good segue because story number two why he's looking to leave Georgia <laughs> is the most famous story that he contracted tuberculosis around this time and decided to leave for a better climate gary l roberts though states in his book that that's unlikely we don't know when he contracts tuberculosis but georgia is actually known for its mineral springs that would actually attract those with tuberculosis to it instead of them trying to find help outside it but i will say living in georgia in the summer is a brutal i believe that, that humidity is no joke well try going to these mineral springs apparently they're very nice oh, that'd be nice i gotta look that up i didn't know that but as soon as you said that i did say to myself huh i'm gonna have to check these out 
watch it's like a Costco now. I was so waiting for you to say like, yeah, we got. Yeah, don't wonder you got the hell out of here. Have you been here in the summer? Like, <laughs> Listen, I go for like a two mile run and it looks like I just went through a thunderstorm. I'm like, I can wring out my shirt. It's so bad. He's single, ladies. Sweater, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hit me up here. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't say anything. I, I. Well, I guess we're just sharing a lot of everybody. I sweat in like 60 <laughs> degrees, so I can't. I have no room to make fun. We're from the Midwest. So what do you expect? The, the winters are brutal up there. It's true. I do prefer cold than, than hot. But uh, finally, back on track. Story number three. Why John Henry may have left Georgia is that he was in love with a woman that he couldn't marry be, because she was his first cousin. Um, his first cousin Maddie are said to have they have said to have had a special relationship, and while nothing has ever been confirmed, uh, the two did write to each other an awful lot, and a lot of those letters were bur- burned shortly after Maddie's death. Now that in itself is not proof, because obviously letters get burned. Uh, uh, when people die, that does happen. Uh, but it is said that. Maddie wouldn't marry him because she was very religious and you can't marry your first cousin uh, in the Catholic religion. So you can only do stuff with them. <laughs> you can only get the second base. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> hey, they're the ones that had the special relationship. Okay. I'm equally disgusted at that phrasing, but like, that really tickled me in the moment. <laughs> they can only do things to each other. Like, oh, my God. I'm just saying. What are you saying, Matt? Your mother's listening. What are you saying? No, she was the one that was like, I don't want to marry you. Well, allegedly. I don't want to marry you because we're cousins. So I'll just let you get to second base. <laughs> You're one of them now. I know. <laughs> Um, there's no segue for that. Uh, finally, and likely the most likely story is that John Henry left because he met a man named Lucian Frank who wanted to take the young holiday to Philadelphia, uh, to become a dentist. I gotta get out of here. My dream is to clean people's teeth, <laughs> but I gotta do the, I gotta go to Philadelphia to find a person with a tooth to do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's why he had to leave. No one had, no, look around. No one has teeth. <laughs> I hear they do things with their cousins. Yeah. I can picture someone in their car right now with a horrified look on their face, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Doc Holliday is away from his cousin, and he's learning dentistry. Um... He graduates entry school sometime in 1870, 1871. Hip, hip, hooray. We can now call him officially Doc Holliday. Uh, he moves around and consistently opens up dentistry practices, but is showing less love for teeth and showing more love for nightlife, which includes gambling, where he will start numerous gambling tables such as Kino or Faro, uh, and he will travel around from Texas to Denver, possibly the Black Hills for the gold rush, but and countless nameless towns in between 
Holiday was described a couple years later, but I think it fits in this time in this spot here as well. That quote: "This fellow Holiday was a consumptive. The hard drinker was neither phased by liquor, uh, and he could either be the most genteel, affable chap you ever saw, and at times he was sour and surly. The majestic, he, he the majestic would soon cut your throat with a villainous-looking knife he always carried with him, and a." Cal- 41 caliber double barrel barrel derringer he kept in his vest pocket so the skinny little man carries a big big gun and an even bigger knife he ain't messing around uh he's not someone you would necessarily want to pick a fight with right away but also keep in mind he also tiny um, he is very skinny he is very, very, very skinny. skinny like so if you, if you have a big knife, you know, chances are people not going to mess with you, especially when you're drunk, uh, looking to pick fights. But we'll, we'll get into that in just a couple more minutes and we'll really for the rest of the episode. So I can now sum up the next four hours of research in one sentence. Doc Holliday moves to a town. He drinks. He gambles. He gets arrested. Uh, he then gets a fine for gambling and then he leaves town. Rinse, repeat. Like five times. It's all over Texas to Colorado. And it's literally the same story every time? Essentially, he shows up, he gets into a lot of fights. And he just Is gambling down. legal all over at this point? Yes and no. <laughs> Depending on where the town you are. Uh, if you have a powerful, rich person. If you have a wealthy person that runs a gambling table, it's a little bit more legal in some jurisdictions than others. Uh, he just kind of goes around finds the gambling also a dentistry but mm, he's less dentist than he is a gambler even at this point so he went to become a dentist just to become a gambler well i think he he was looking for something to do or he wanted to go to philadelphia and then he realizes that gambling can be very fun when you're winning also (laughs) drinking can be very fun when you're winning at gambling so yeah why not also he does I think he has tuberculosis at this point. So, like, what does he have to lose? Why does he need to worry about a dentistry? Like, his dentistry practice, he doesn't really have much of a future. Like, why does he care? Right, yeah. So, that's, like, that's like the famous narrative on him. And there's definitely a lot of debate on if that's accurate or not. But I don't see why that wouldn't be the case. Right. Just move around until people hate you enough. And then you go to the next town and do the same thing. Yeah, and back then, no one knew you when you rolled into town. No, uh, not yet. Anyway, <laughs> right, right. A story by Bat Masterson's at this time. So again, get your pinches of salt ready. Alleged that Doc may have killed a man and seriously cut a man's face. There's more evidence for this. Shortly after Doc's death in Denver, a newspaper reported that Holiday nearly cut Ryan's head off. As for contemporary sources, as in when they happened at the time, Holiday was arrested and fined thirty dollars. But the newspaper only reported the incident as "quote Saturday night's affair," so that's helpful. This is a typical Saturday. Yeah, just no, well, it wasn't typical because there was an affair on Saturday night, but they did, they apparently did not want to go into. Oh, I thought you meant it was Saturday like uh, um, nah, just a Saturday night affair. I don't worry no, about because. It. Everyone knows about Saturday night's affair. Like we all remember Saturday night. It's as clear guys, what all happened. Why do we need to explain it? In the hospital, my face, my face. 
the first reported two face. You just hear like a wh- like a wheezing noise because his nose is off. You know. <laughs> Isn't that like the who's the villain the the druggist in Wonder Woman the first one? Does she have a heavy breathing where she has the mask on? In where in Wonder Woman? Wonder Woman, the who's female the who was making the woman that was making all of the like the the nerve gas. Oh, ooh, I don't remember. I don't remember, but I picture her with like a loud breathing sound. Maybe that's inaccurate. Yeah, that's that's definitely you, her. I am your father. Close enough. <laughs> so after Saturday night's affair, uh, Doc is kind of looking for he's kind of looking for a place to leave. Uh, somewhere around this time, he meets someone we need to introduce. And her name is Big Nose Kate Elder. Who Big Nose. Which, when you look at her, she doesn't have a big nose. So there's some type of innuendo there. She is a rumored prostitute, rumored... Um, she doesn't... You remember, like, Calamity Jane's reputation? Kind of that, but Kate Elder kind of does more criminally things. That's like a term. Rob, steal. Uh, not not Rob, but she's more more shady than Calamity actually was. We'll put it that. Uh, Kate Elder is an immigrant woman who had moved from Hungary to Davenport, Iowa, which is quite the leap from Hungary to Davenport. But that's where she settled. She did so in 1860, and she may have met Doc as early as 1872 where the two may have started an affair. The two are going to be on again, off again for the rest of Doc's life. But the issue with Kate is she is not the most reliable narrator. Most of her stories need to be taken again with a pinch of salt. And she alleges her and Doc did a lot of things. One of which was they were married in 1876, though there is really no proof of the marriage. So it could have also just been Kate as Memoring it too. We will introduce her here because she may have helped save Doc's life just before they head to Dodge City. Doc is playing a poker game when he catches a friend named Bailey cheating. Doc then tells his friend to just play poker, which is obvious code for I know what you're doing, stop doing it, and we're going to pretend as if nothing is happening. Apparently, Bailey either ignored this or didn't catch the hint he continues to cheat doc having enough of this then just declares that he's the winner of a fairly large pot during the game without showing his cards and starts bringing it in bailey very rational person this bailey then pulls his gun on doc doc responded by stabbing bailey pretty severely (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Doc was immediately arrested and held in a hotel room upstairs while a crowd gathered outside and wanted to see Holiday punished. And if there's one thing we know about gathering crowds in the Wild West, wanting to see punishment is Doc is pretty close to a lynching right now. Now we need to enter Kate Elder, who saw the fracas growing outside and sets a fire to a shed outside and then just shouts fire. 
everyone rushed to put out the flames, keeping then Kate enters the hotel, goes to the room where Doc was being held, points a gun at the marshal protecting him, throws a revolver to Doc, and the two escaped. Legend has it that they rode 400 miles to Dodge City, and don't you dare tell me this didn't happen, this 100% happened. Don't you dare shoot this down. Hey, honey, sorry I'm late. Exactly. They're so... Makes sense. Start a fire. Go save them. She Definitely is happened. knight in shining armor. Yep. They're just... They're Bonnie and Clyde before Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it should also be known that even Kate would deny the story. <laughs> even she said it didn't happen? Yeah. And she brings up reasonable points that she is like a 120-pound female. And it's laughable that... Two marshals and deputies would just let her throw a revolver to a prisoner. Uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But Wyatt Earp would repeat it. So I'm just going to say it happened because it's a cool story. He said it happened. Yep. So it happened. Then they rode 400 miles to Dodge City in Dodge City. Kate and Doc make it in 1878 just in time for cattle season to begin. The town itself is only about seven years old, but business has been booming. And 1878 will be one of the busiest ones in the young history of the, of the town. By June of that year, 110,000 cattle had arrived. Doc may be thinking he could set up a permanent place for himself. And Kate, uh, there was no dentist in town, so why not set up shop? Also turns out, there's a lot of gambling in town as well, so... Perfect. Yeah, it's just perfect for Doc. A newspaper years later would portray him as a thin spear of a man with a blonde mustache with piercing eyes, which glanced covertly and suspiciously from one from under the brim of a black black slouched hat. He had streaks of gray in his hair and his clothes were custom made although despite his outsert appearance he looked nothing like he was a bloodthirsty outlaw according to this newspaper and then doc got a little bit of a drink in him where <laughs> he may I'll have show been... you <laughs> i'll show you thinking i'm even keeled and even tempered Doc is uh, either has learned something about being a professional gambler slash outlaw, or he starts running the narrow path. His biographer, Gary Roberts, just thinks Doc has become a better uh, outlaw and just isn't getting caught. Mainly because there's not a lot of stories about Doc in Dodge City. Well, there's plenty of stories about Doc in Dodge City, but... Uh, he probably gets away with a lot more. There is one amusing story about Doc and a man named Turkey Creek, Jack Johnson. So Doc and Turkey Creek, probably hiccuping at a bar, convince a banker that they are the last of an outlaw gang that had just robbed $20,000 worth of gold and silver, and they're looking to offload this as fast as they can. The banker, probably also with a drunk hiccup at the bar, 
is interested enough that he wanted Turkey Creek Jack to accompany him to Chicago to ensure that there is a safe transport. When on the way, they were stopped by a deputy marshal with a sandy mustache. Probably with a bit of a cough, bit of a stare, probably had a big gun and a big knife on him. And after pleading, the deputy marshal accepted a $15,000 bribe from the banker. And the deputy marshal then just leaves them alone. And then they are simply able to continue on their way to collect the $20,000 worth of gold and silver. <laughs> they, they robbed that guy. They basically just robbed that guy, uh, according to the story. Now, I'm sure probably Doc says it didn't happen. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's. It seems you hear this story kind of of a lot with people. So I'm going. This is just a, so like this is similar. If you remember from Jesse James episode where he visits the widow. And then she says, my house is going to be repossessed by the bank. I have nothing to pay. Jesse right. pays her and then robbed like the guy comes yeah. and then just robs them. Like there's, there's a lot of that. So I don't believe the story actually happened. Like doc is a lot of things. A uh, gambler drunk likes to get in fights very quick to draw a gun. He's not much of a, I don't know. He's not much oh, of a well. stick up guy. Yeah, he's not like he does a lot of shady things, but outright robbery isn't necessarily one of them to right. me. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't feel like it's his character so far from what we've heard so far. While in Dodge City, Doc Holliday meets Wyatt Earp for the first time, and the two aren't immediate best friends. However, one incident and again, there are several stories of how this actually happened version number one they're both pretty similar stories but version number one was doc was just outside the very famous long branch saloon in dodge city when he sees wyatt exit onto front street with an angry cowboy following him and the cowboy is cursing out wyatt when the cowboy pulled his gun doc distracted the cowboy just enough for wyatt to pull his pistol doc then shoots the cowboy in the shoulder allowing wyatt to make the arrest version number two and this is a story said to have been told by Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp didn't tell this story. Wyatt Earp told this story to someone who told it to someone else. So, yeah. Anyway, according to this Wyatt Earp story, Doc sees Wyatt and the cowboy arguing outside the Long Branch Saloon. Doc then asks the dealer that he's gambling at, have you a six shooter? The dealer then just gave Doc his revolver and then Doc went outside, marched up into the doorway, ordered the cowboy to throw his hands up, which was just enough of a distraction for Wyatt to make the arrest. And from this, they became best friends. They're besties <laughs> now. Did we just become best friends? Yes. Yes. You went to Step Brothers. I went right to the song. What song? People, let me tell you about my best friend. The they're just skipping down the. They're just skipping down the road. Da, 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 da. There's six shooters touching. Like it's very touching. <laughs> locking arm. <laughs> they're locked arm in arm. It's very. It's very friend. Quick friendship. 
regardless of how they meet. Uh, Doc isn't in Dodge City for too much longer, likely due to his tuberculosis getting worse. By this time, he was starting to look much older than he actually was. Keep in mind, he's really only in his, like, late 20s, early 30s, and they're already showing, like, uh, touches of gray in his hair. He also would have likely developed a hoarse voice from throat ulcers, an elevated heart rate, and a more severe cough, which likely led him to the decision to leave Dodge City, though there are rumors that he was fleeing criminal charges. However he left, he did so without Kate Elder after an apparent fight. Possibly the first example of Kate not liking Wyatt and his brothers at all. She didn't like them? She did not like the Wyatts at all. Or the Earps at all. <laughs> the Wyatts. <laughs> Five of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is also why you also have to take her stories about Doc during this time as kind of with a pinch of salt. Wait, in just to clarify, maybe it's different. In tomb in the movie Tombstone, didn't she like have a really good relationship with the Wyatts? I can't remember. Oh, I just saw it, the movie the other day. She's in it. But not like she's not an important like character. Not, I think you're thinking of the romance. I think you're thinking of Josephine, who will later be Wyatt's wife. Okay. So keep in mind, Wyatt is, Wyatt is also married at this time. So the woman that he meets in Tombstone, uh, that's definitely going to be an affair. Also, <laughs> the same woman is maybe a romantic like was so you remember john behan the crooked sheriff oh, yeah 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 um he was before wyatt he was also having an affair with the same actress <laughs> so not only is there's there's a lot of affairs going on and then Bean and wyatt Earp are going to be pretty big enemies in the tombstone which kind of leads into it so we just jumped a little bit of the timeline, but yeah. Um, yeah. Kate Elder in the movie. I, she's really just in it for a couple moments. Okay. With doc. So um, I honestly can't remember a major moment and someone might send us an angry email that I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, but I'm sorry if I did the actress who played Kate Elder in tombstone. I'm very sorry. I forgot what you did in the movie. <laughs> She's going to she's going to message us. How dare you? After leaving Dodge City, Doc opens a saloon for some time, but for less than a year, rumors of Doc killing two men start to erupt. One is pretty circumstantial evidence that I'm not even going to cover. The other um, kind of shows just how how quick Doc's temper was. One man named White, while in Dodge City, accuses Doc of a robbery. When Doc realizes White is in town, he marched to a saloon and just starts actively firing into the saloon where White was working as a bartender. Just trying to hit him. Just I'm trying just to hit him. in there to see what I can do. And you know all of the stories that we've encountered of this person has the best accuracy in the entire world. Doc Holliday is the opposite of that. Doc Holliday was apparently a horrible shot. Couldn't hit the broadside of the bar and insert whatever joke you would like. So you have this madman who has tuberculosis, likely drunk, and is just firing his pistol 
inside of a crowded bar trying to kill a man. What a lovely scene to be a part of. Multiple rounds were fired by both Doc and White. White was nearly hit, but was able to duck under the counter before the bullet actually hit him. Doc believed that he hit White and possibly killed him. He then left for Tombstone in September 1879. (laughs) Last thing I'll do before I leave. Okay, bye, everyone. (laughs) So White is dead, though. No, Doc is alive. Or White is alive. Oh, I thought you said he got hit. Oh, no, he believed he hit him. Doc believed he hit him, which probably tells you how drunk he was. Got you. I got you, White. Uh, sure, Doc. You got me. Do you remember the the scene in Tombstone where Doc Holliday comes out and the, the, the guy says, Doc, you can't shoot me because you probably see more than one of me. And then Doc pulls out the second gun like, and I got a gun for each of you. <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember that. This is where I think that story comes from. I don't know that, but uh, I, I do love that moment. It's apparently a just really bad shot, which is nice. It's nice to hear the other side of that story because we haven't really heard about anyone being a bad shot since Tom Horn, which randomly comes up in his trial. So we're now in Tombstone, and we talked about last episode what the wild cluster of factions that there is in Tombstone. Now, we've entered an unknown explosive element that is Doc Holliday, and it doesn't take him a lot of time to get back into trouble. And also, by this time, uh, Doc, not even pretending to be a dentist, uh, not opening up practices. He just comes in. He gambles. He drinks. He's a professional gambler. It's all he does. Just three weeks after Doc enters town, he meets John E. Tyler, a sloper. Do you remember what a sloper is from last episode? Yeah, they lived on a mountain range, right? Or they lived on like the... They lived on the west side of the Sierra Nevada. So they're Californian, essentially. Why they had to have a nickname, I don't know. But they're slopers. So, but it's part of the gambling faction and the gambling war that's kind of going on. Doc gets into an argument at the Oriental Saloon. Again, a very fancy, famous Oriental Saloon that we talked about last episode. And with the... With Doc and John Tyler meeting, uh, it ends up in shots being fired. A marshal on a marshal and an officer on duty disarm both men before anyone could hurt, and both men's pistols were kept behind the bar at the Oriental. So, isn't it nice that in this town they don't take they don't do much? They take your guns and put it behind the bar as if you just you know texted uh, in class. We'll give this back to you at the end of the day when you're not a drunk a hole anymore. Doc, um, bring so, it up to the class. Bring it up to the front. Yeah, it to the but I don't have anything. You can get it back when you. You can get it back when the bell rings. <laughs> or like whenever what is the bell ringing? Actually, the spittoon going off every time. <laughs> Doc just looks at the bartender with those. Do I get them back now? <laughs> I promise I'll behave. Doc, you're the one that spit in the spittoon. No, you can't do it. No, no. When you're No, Doc, you can't have them now. Sit down and be a good boy. Well, Doc wasn't a good boy because even though they don't have their guns, Doc and Tyler are not done arguing. 
The bartender asked both men to leave, but when Doc, who was again very drunk, refused, the bartender quite literally threw him out the bar. Doc got up, went back into the bar, and demanded his pistols. (laughs) 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 He was met with a firm, no, you're not getting your pistols back right now. So then Doc left, found another set of pistols, and returned. (laughs) Oh, my God. He approached the bartender, and the bartender came out from behind the bar and buffaloed Holiday. If I haven't talked about buffaloing, it's when you take the grip, like the handle of your pistol, and just hit someone in the back of the head with it. Wyatt Earp was famous for doing it. So uh, basically, he got pistol whipped with the back of the gun. Holiday is now bleeding, got up, and is, in str- is now in a struggle, uh, was able to fire several shots with the revolver he took from another person. One person was hit in the leg. Another person was hit in the big toe, which is interesting to me, because if you get shot in the wow. big toe, do you have a big toe anymore? Right. I don't, I don't think, think so. you do, because you don't just clip the big toe. The big toe is a clip itself. Anyway, when it all ended... A very bloody Doc Holiday was arrested and brought up on charges of assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill. He pleads guilty and was fined $33.25. Jeez, that's it for assault with a deadly weapon? Yep. Oh, no, I'm sorry, intent to kill. Yep, that's it. No other charges. (laughs) Just pay the $33. That's a lot, though. It is. Uh, but it should have been not more. Enough, yeah, I was just gonna say not enough to try. From you were trying to kill someone, so this is a couple weeks before Marshall White is shot and killed by Curly Bill Brocious in the streets, and Bill would later be acquitted of the killing of Marshall in January 1881. Do you remember that from last episode? Yeah, because Wyatt grabbed him. Yeah. Right. And they couldn't determine if the gun went off by itself in the wrestle or if Curly Bill actually just shot Marshall White. Hopefully this all makes sense to everyone. Tombstone is kind of a busy place. And to focus on one person with all of the events are going on can kind of be tedious sometimes. So I hope this is all sounding correct and like familiar to everyone. During this time, Doc settled down and ran a feral game at the Alhambra while trying to get back together with Kate Elder because now... She's back in town. She followed him there. Things are relatively uneventful until March 1881 when the Benson stagecoach robbery happens. And if you remember, Doc Holliday. Was Doc Holliday there? That is the debate. He was not in town that morning, right? He was just outside of it. He was not. And now we can go into why they think he's a suspect. The robbery takes place on March 15th. On March 15th, Doc is seen leaving town earlier in the day to enter a high-stakes poker game a couple towns down. However, when Doc gets there, the poker game allegedly disbanded by the time Doc got there. He then supposedly rode back to town with a man named Old Man Fuller, which, don't know why that tickled me so much, but Old Man Fuller does not seem like someone I would you know, trust with my alibi. But anyway, they ride back during when, the time when the robbery took place. When Doc returned, he is said to have had a very worn out horse, 
which can be consistent with both his alibi of the poker game, but also consistent with he just got into a failed stagecoach robbery. Over the next three days, the Earp brothers go out on a manhunt, which would lead to the arrest of Luther King, a friend of Doc Holliday. When Wyatt returned to Tombstone to send out for Doc, he also heard the story Doc was involved with one of the suspected robbers, Billy Leonard. So I only said Billy Leonard last episode, but he also knew of Luther King from all of their gambling, like they would have gambled together. So that's now two of the robbers in the Bench and Stagecoach robbery that are associated with Doc Holliday. Getting spicy. When Doc returns, he immediately wants to go talk to Doc, as you would imagine. Kate Elder would later recall that Wyatt wanted to see Doc in Doc's house. Doc was at Wyatt's house for over an hour and returned to his room. Elder reports that she, that Doc kept repeating phrases like, The damned fool. I did not think that of him. Now, was he talking about Wyatt Earp? suspecting doc holiday in the robbery was he saying that about luther king robbing attempting to rob the stagecoach we don't really know what doc meant why the damned fool i did not think of that of him maybe he came in and wanted a cut maybe doc well wouldn't that be something doc didn't have anything to do with it but why i wanted a cut so he went there and said listen I want my cut, you damn fool. Didn't think it, was, think it would be like that. So you think it is Doc, the innocent Doc Holiday, talking... He doesn't do anything bad, man. Not what? once. He cut off a man's face, but that's it. What That one time, he may have shot at a group of black people. People can over change, Eric, okay? Joke bomb. <laughs> joke bomb. I, he was young. Maybe this is a joke robbery. It wasn't a real robbery. It was just a joke one. We just wanted to see what they would do. We just wanted to see what they would do. And if what they would do was give us all the money, eh, that's good, I mean, too. That's a good plan. They gave it to us. Yeah, they did. They didn't. It was a failed they, uh, failed robbery. Doc wakes up around 9 o'clock that next morning and tells Kate, well, I don't know what I'm going to stack up against today. I'm getting tired of it all. Maybe what Doc was alluding to was a newspaper report that's going to come out that same day that while it doesn't mention Doc is in the robbery, it does all it can to kind of point its finger at him. It would have been obvious to everyone in the town who they were talking about. And it also mentions that the suspect is being followed very closely. So maybe after every turn, Doc just notices a bunch of men in trench coats around the corner looking dead stare at him it's like a movie you know he's sitting there he looks over and a guy's reading a paper but staring at him another guy's drinking coffee with talking into his sleeve <laughs> i do like that <laughs> i also like the thought of the opposite approach of like somebody is just like all up in his face like five inches away from his face just staring at him <laughs> i know what you did yeah i know it was you the fallout of the Benson Stagecoach robbery depends largely on your sources. It is either a struggle between the Law and Order faction versus the Cowboy faction, or it is the Earp brothers trying to take complete control of the town. The answer might be somewhere in the middle. 
one of the people who is the most helpless in this situation was Doc. Because Doc is just kind of a scoundrel. Wyatt Earp has a good reputation. John Behan is the sheriff. He, these are the power players. And then you have Doc, who is just gambling and, like, making everyone angry. <laughs> Literally the bad guy. Yeah, like, and also, this is where, I think I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but this is kind of where they believe Wyatt may have been in on it just by like guilty by association kind of like how doc is guilty by association by knowing king and leonard um it's kind of this like he's kind of pulling wyatt in with him do you think he had something to do with the robbery eh, we'll answer that at the end. let's okay. answer that on the end okay so leave that little cliffhanger a very fed up doc couldn't help himself when he was challenged on his alleged involvement and declared. And this is of all of the things, doc, I'm about to read this quote. Maybe just think a little bit before you say something, buddy. But again, a very aggravated doc holiday with a man probably staring five inches from his face is said to have said, if I had pulled off that job, I would have gotten the $80,000. Whoever shot Philpot was a rank amateur. We didn't say how much money was involved, Doc. <laughs> that, that would also be funny. Like, 80000 you say? We never mentioned. Oh, that's great. That's gold <laughs> is what that is. So do you remember that bartender that um, Doc got into a shootout just a couple minutes ago? Well, Doc is near that same bartender, and that bartender says something to the effect of, there goes the stage robber. Doc threatened him enough that Sheriff Behan had to arrest him in charge of making threats against life. The manhunt to catch the robbers continues in the background. However, two of the men are killed, including Leonard, and then we suspect King was also killed. This is a blow towards Doc, as they were really the last couple of men who would be able to clear Doc's name. And one final nail came from an unsuspecting source. When Doc is arrested for his involvement in the stagecoach robbery. So, so not only is he, arrested. he did get arrested for it. Do you want to know why? Why? An affidavit was signed the day before by a Kate Elder. <gasps> Kate. So why would Kate do that? Now, Kate, to her own admission, would lay, would say she had no real evidence that Doc was in on it, but she really, really didn't like the Earps, as we've already talked about. And she thought that if Doc was arrested, he, he would just leave Tombstone and the Earps behind. This would be the end of the friendship and they can move on with their life and just live happily ever after. But it turns out that the Earps put up $5,000. The Earps and some friends put up $5,000 to get Doc out. And since Kate didn't really have any evidence linking Doc to the bank robbery or to the stagecoach robbery, uh, it was just kind of swept under the rug. However, if you're in the town and you read the newspaper and you're the person five inches away from Doc's holiday's face at the entire time and you see that he's arrested, there's a lot of evidence saying this is a bad man. Like, 
seriously, why don't we do something about this man? He's dangerous. He's clearly a part of it. So public opinion is not with Doc at all. So like they, even though he wasn't guilty or, I mean, there wasn't enough evidence to say he was, the town pretty much was like, yeah, but he is. He's kind of guilty. Like the public opinion would have said that he was part of it because he's friends with Billy Leonard and Luther King. And he was just arrested, at least being an accomplice of it. The man is guilty. There's too much evidence. Plus look at him. He's firing into bars. Like this man is clearly a madman. This is why you got to pick your friends. (laughs) Okay. Because Mm. the second you get in with bad people, they do bad things. You're automatically associated with them. It's true. Should Guilty say. by association. Sometime in the buildup to the OK Corral shootout, Wyatt and Ike Clanton. Do you remember Ike Clanton? Yes. Okay. He, one of the Clanton. Not yeah. like, is he the one that uh, wanted a duel? Uh, yeah, you're thinking Doc of Ringo. You're thinking of Ringo. Oh, yes. You're right. I am. But Ike Clanton and Wyatt are kind of like the figureheads. Like, they're the two most famous names in this story. So they're on opposite sides. But, again, in the build-up to the OK Corral shootout, Wyatt and Ike Clanton have a secret meeting. The meeting was to about an alleged deal that would have Ike Clanton betray Luther Head and Jim Crane and turn them over information on their involvement in the Benson Stagecoach robbery. Wyatt very much had his eye on the sheriff election the next year and that if he would be able to catch the Benson Stagecoach robbers, he was basically a shoe-in to win the sheriff job in the next election. But to say that this uh, secret meeting between basically the figureheads of each faction, uh, there, there's a couple different stories of what actually happened. So was Wyatt talking about basically a plea deal for Ike Clanton or was Wyatt and Ike Clanton the masterminds? During the summer in the middle of 1881, the cowboy faction is really starting to cause damage to Tombstone. And if you remember back from the previous episode, the cattle rustlers would go down, steal uh, steal cattle from Mexico, bring them up into Tombstone. And then obviously these cowboys would have a lot of money in their hands. They'd get drunk, all of that good stuff. Everything we talked about last episode. Everyone was stealing everyone's cows. Brand, 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 brand. Do you know who wasn't stealing cattle, though, ever? John Rangel. Perfect. Perfect, innocent. John Rango is perfectly innocent. Oh, yeah. Never. On October 21st, uh, 1881, the current marshal approached Ike Clanton, who said he knew of his deal with Wyatt to betray Luther Head and Jim Crane. So that secret meeting we just talked about, it's discovered. Clanton immediately went to Wyatt like, what the hell? Who are you telling and why are you telling it? Wyatt denied the claim and said that the marshal was just guessing, which pretty weak defense, isn't it? Like, <laughs> No, he just figured it out. I don't know. <laughs> he has no proof. Wyatt, he said everything verbatim I told you. What do you mean he guessed it? 
Yeah, uh, Clanton doesn't believe Wyatt, in my opinion, understandably so. <laughs> I'm going to assume Wyatt uh, definitely told White, but it is also damaging to Wyatt because Wyatt's already associated with Doc Holliday, who's shady, and now he's associated with Ike Clanton. So, like, this is, like, how far does Wyatt go down this rabbit hole? Is he really this upstanding citizen, or, like, what what else is going on here? Four days later, on the night of October 25th, Clanton is in town when Doc sees Clanton at the Alhambra Saloon. When he sees Clanton... Doc approached and confronted him, saying something to the tune of, I've heard you've been talking crap about me. Stop it. You want to know what song just popped into my head when you said that? Hmm. I believe it's a No Doubt song. I heard that you were talking crap and you didn't think that I would hear it. Well, that's it. The rest of this episode's a musical. (laughs) Everything's in song form. So Doc walks up to the saloon. (laughs) Clanton would later claim the testimony that Holiday uh, told him to go get a gun. So go ahead and sing your gun verse. Go get a gun. Go get a gun. Why, 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 why? Go get the gun. Go get the gun. Why? Because Doc called him a damn liar. I can't sing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Sorry, I suffered you to all of that. I felt inspired. I felt inspired. So Doc called Clanton a damned liar. And then Clanton, again, at the trial a couple months later, claimed to, quote, pull out. Doc would then pull out his gun and said that if Clanton didn't have any grit in him to go to fighting. All the time, Doc had his hand on his hip that Clanton assumed was his pistol. By this time, the Earps are in the bar. Morgan Earp separates both men. He kicks Doc and Ike out of the bar. But both men, Doc and Ike, continue arguing. Where then Virgil Earp calms Doc down. Later that night, Clanton, still fired up, approaches Wyatt. Where Wyatt allegedly told Clanton that in the morning there has been too much of this fighting talk and at 2 p.m. there's going to be a fight. This is according to Clanton that Wyatt said this the night before. How much Clanton had to drink? Probably factored in his memory because it's really not known if this actually happened. Keep in mind, this is coming at the trial in the aftermath. Clanton would then respond to Wyatt saying that there was no money in this fight. So there was no reason to have it. So like, let's just stop. Let's not have, why are we fighting? Literally there's nothing, nothing comes. What are we doing? We're just posturing. So let's stop it. The next morning on October 26, Clanton, who is still very drunk or at least is turning into the whole hangover period is ready to fight. He was a bit embarrassed last night by Holiday when he basically were they they were jostling, they challenged each other, and then Clanton went around the rest of the night, obviously confronting every erp that he could find. He picks up a pistol and a rifle and tells anyone that is listening that he expects to meet Doc Holiday in the street. Even telling Virgil Erp, who basically is like, Ike, go home. 
you're drunk. You're not going to like, you're not going to do anything like go home, rest off, shut up. Virgil then just goes to bed because he was still on duty from the night before. So word of Clanton's threat against Doc gets around town pretty quick. And by the time Doc wakes up, Kate Elder tells him that Ike is looking for him and that Doc is to have replied, quote, if God lets me live long enough to get my clothes on, he shall see me. Bring on this fight. Start the bell. We're going 12 rounds today. Doc isn't, Doc isn't backing down. So by this time, Ike Clanton, again, going around to everyone saying, I'm going to start a fight. I'm looking for this person, this person, this person. He has done this long enough for Virgil Earp to go to bed and to wake back up. And he's back on duty. So Virgil confronts Clanton, who, according to Virgil, stated that he drew a six shooter when Virgil buffaloed Clanton. He then put him under arrest. Then Virgil asked Clanton that if he hadn't been hunting for him all morning, Clanton responded with yes, and that if he had been a second faster, Virgil would now be dead. Jeez. (sighs) Virgil charges Clanton with having a firearm inside city limits, and he is brought in front of a judge almost immediately, where there is a almost comically large-sized crowd just outside the jail listening to this. So, Doc is still putting his boots on, still putting on his clothes. And Virgil is now arresting Clanton, bringing him in front of a judge for essentially threatening his life. This large crowd that is is around is now listening as Clanton threatens to kill the Earp brothers to the point where Morgan Earp offered to take his revolver and said, here, take this. You can have all the show you want right now. Basically calling him out in front of everyone i feel like that's not gonna be a good move there's a lot of challenging and posturing in the last couple hours do it do it do it here you go here's my gun go ahead if you want to continue the show go ahead and take my gun but i think we both know you're not going to do anything insert a large crowd watching all of this with all of the popcorn in their hand munching like Michael Jackson. Some guy in the background. Oh, (laughs) Oh, if this just turns into like yo mama jokes or like (laughs) wild and out, that's fantastic. (laughs) I do love that. Instead of like pistols firing on the horn, it's that horn, that, that stupid little horn. Yeah. Once Morgan offered his uh, revolver to Clanton, apparently that was enough for the crowd to to scatter. They're not they're not waiting anymore. <laughs> when Ike jumped up, someone simply pushes him back down in the chair. The theater ends with a twenty five dollar fine for Clanton, and shortly Clanton is spotted with some other cowboys, and witnesses are claiming to hear. This is our time to fight. Well, crap. Seemingly, there are two people somewhat unaware of the drama. One is Doc Holliday, who just knows that Ike Clanton is looking for him. And the other 
was Sheriff John Behan. <laughs> the sheriff of the town doesn't know any of this is going on. Has no idea. His deputies are arresting. There's already been a little mini trial. There's a lot of posturing going on. It's tension is building. Who to bring you up to speed? Uh, who was brought up to speed immediately when he find when Behan finds Virgil? And depending on your source, Behan then it says that the Earps need to disarm, or the Earps will need to disarm Clanton. If I fail to state by now, Behan's main competitor is the Earps, who are coming for his job pretty much the entire time. Like, the they next sheriff, sheriff. Him, they're coming for his job. Right. Which may have led to Sheriff Behan being a little more accommodating to the cowboy faction, or at least more accommodating than the Earps were comfortable with. Behan, on this day, has a big problem but he's kind of too late to do anything about it. So he kind of goes into immediate damage control. We think <laughs> he heads out to talk to Clanton and a group of posses and his posse of cowboys who are now gathering in the okay corral. Just before Behan leaves, he sees Virgil. And Virgil agrees that if the Cowboys stay in the corral and they're confined in the corral and they just leave and go home, they would not disarm them. They will leave them alone and let them leave. However, if they step outside the corral, there's going to be a fight. Where Behan, I think, did a, oh my God, 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 runs to the Clantons and goes and talks to them. Wyatt and Morgan meet up with Virgil and start heading to the OK Corral. Because, again, they need to make sure that they're contained in the corral, right? Mm -hmm. Now enter Doc Holliday, who finally has his clothes on. <laughs> what a miss. Witnesses hear the following conversation as Doc is, like, catching up, like, Hey, guys, what you doing? How you got What's going on, guys? The witnesses said to have said, Doc, where are you going? Wyatt responded, we're going to make a fight. Well, you're not going to leave without me, are you? Wyatt, this is none of your affair. Doc, well, that's a hell of a thing for you to say to me. Wyatt then says, this is going to be a tough one. Doc responds, tough ones are the kind I like. Insert dramatic music you're in a star wars mood today do you know that disney is notorious for trademark <laughs> i was about to say please don't sue us <laughs> so as the erps are walking towards the corral to either disarm the clantons or to make a fight, depending on your source. Somewhere they get, I believe, Behan walks up to them and says, like, they're disarmed. Will you please disarm? I have disarmed them. Things like that. Something to that effect. After that confrontation, or after Behan talks to the, talks to the herbs, they then start walking towards the corral again, where it is said Doc was whistling the entire time. 
He was in a fine dress, a walking cane, and to complete his outfit, a double-barreled shotgun that was hidden under his coat. Oh, nice. Nice accessory. Nice accessory. (laughs) Goes with every belt. Matched his belt that day. Again, Behan is going between both parties and is just pleading for something to stop. Someone please back down, but it's too late. Keep in mind, both sides are kind of under the impression that the other side is unarmed. I can just kind of see, I can just kind of see Dion like in a movie where he's like walking all nervous, like guys, guys, we, we, like walking back. Like, oh. <laughs> I don't think that's inaccurate. It sounds like that's kind of what was happening in like this, 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 because this is only like an hour build. Like it's been building all morning, but like when Behan is talking to the Earps and the Clantons, it's not that long of a time. It's not like Tombstone is like this huge metropolis. So like he's going back and forth trying to stop something, but like. It's too late at this point. The Earps are mad and tired of it. The Clantons are tired of the Earps. Something's about to happen. It's just how bad. The tension fills the air as both sides now stare at each other. And both sides are a bit surprised to see that the other ones still have their guns. So not only to be him not disarm one party he disarmed no one it is just then where witnesses of claim that wyatt said under his breath probably the most fitting line possible wyatt sees that the clantons are are armed and just says a son of a (laughs) which you can interpret as either being a defensive oh crap or a I'm going to get you. Doc watches as Virgil moves towards the lot and told the cowboys to throw up their arms and to disarm. One cowboy replied, we will. As everyone then put a hand on their hip. Oh, no. <laughs> everyone disarm. Gun on holsters. It is said to have then been silent until a John Henry Holiday pulls out his shotgun and you hear the ominous clicking of both hammers on his shotgun go back. Oh no. Virgil was losing control and said, quote, halt. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Which is just funny. <laughs> like, Virgil's like, no, no, no guys. I actually meant to stop. Like that's no, no, no. We're not doing this. Doc, put it down. Doc, stop. Stop clicking it back. Stop it. He'll... That's a double barreled shotgun. Yeah. So he only gets, what, two bullets? He does. Well, he also has his uh, revolver on him, too. Like, he has his his Derringer on him. So the first shot came from someone. Possibly Wyatt, but let's be honest, it was probably Doc, if I remember right. I think it was actually Doc who opened it up. Billy Clanton fired fired wide of Wyatt. When the firing started, Ike, again, the guy responsible for all of this, runs up to Wyatt and says, he doesn't have a gun. (laughs) Wyatt shoved him out of the way saying, this fight's commenced. Get to fighting or get away. And Clanton broke and ran. 
And I would just like to take a couple moments of appreciation for Wyatt Earp, because this this shootout isn't going to last for more than like 30 seconds. And in the opening shots to have the guy who has been threatening you for months and specifically that morning, and it's the reason you're there for him to say to see him running towards you, say, I'm unarmed and just shove him away without shooting. Pretty cool. Yes. With a pretty awesome line to boot. This fighting's commenced. Get to fighting or get away. I thought you were going to say get to fighting or get to dying. <laughs> no. I think that we've told a lot of awesome stories. That to me is the coolest line. Like, that's the coolest line I, we've had. Can't wait to cover Wyatt Earp. Anyway, during the shooting, so after Ike leaves, Ike's brother Billy was shot in the wrist and shifted his pistol to the other hand. He continued to fire with his pistol propped up on his knee. After using both barrels, Doc takes aim at a cowboy who was squatted in the street from exhaustion. But as Doc followed him, he regained his feet and lifted his pistol towards Doc, who then said, I've got you now. The cowboy responded, blaze away where doc calmly said you're a daisy if you do which i'm not entirely sure exactly what that means but it's kind of cool that he's called a man a daisy in the middle of the fight daisy (laughs) (laughs) they fired together and doc shot the cowboy in the chest and at the same time morgan was also shot the same cowboy in the side of the head so uh that guy he's just gone However, the fire, the shot that the cowboy was able to get off, tore through Doc's coat and grazed his hip, grazed his hip, which allowed Doc to scream out, I'm shot right through. So obviously Doc, shocked in the moment, thought he was shot uh, in the hip. Well, he was shot in the hip. He just thought it was It was a graze. It was a graze. To be fair, I think we'd all have the same response. (laughs) I'm dead. I'm shot. I'm dead. (laughs) In less than 30 seconds, three cowboys were dead. Virgil went down with a bullet in the calf. Morgan Earp was shot in the back. Doc Holliday shot in the hip. And Wyatt kind of just walked away unharmed. How'd you guys do? I did great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everyone else is hit. Here's Wyatt just, you know, just doing his thing. At the trial... Sheriff Behan claimed that there were 25 to 30 shots fired in the in the 30 seconds. It was a flurry. God, they were just blasting. In the immediate aftermath, Tombstone is just in shock over what just happened to the point where nobody is immediately arrested. They just kind of go back to home base. The Earps settle back down, the Cowboys head back, and Doc heads back to his room where he meets with Kate Elder, who just sees Doc sitting on the bed where he sat and cried, this is just awful. When Kate asked if he was hurt, Doc originally said no, but then they see the blood-stained shirt and pants and then look at where the bullet entered and exited on his hip. There is a two-inch long gap on his hip where the bullet grazed. Doc then wanted to go check on the Earps, 
on both Morgan and Virgil, but he was a too afraid to leave and fear that some of the cattle rustlers would become looking for them that night. Fair enough. The rumors and stories spread over whose fault immediately start happening. The town appears to be on the side of the Earp brothers, but this can be a tricky one to gauge because you have to basically depend on trial testimonies, the Tombstone Epitaph, and the pro, which was pro-Wyatt Earp faction, and then you have the Tombstone Nugget, which is pro-Cowboy faction. From there, you have witnesses who feel strongly on which side they believe is right, because as you would imagine, this is a fairly divisive event that happened in Tombstone. People definitely settle in camps. As soon as October 29th, warrants are issued for both the Earps and Doc. Wyatt and Doc are both arrested, while Virgil and Morgan are too injured to be moved. The worry about the trial is not for the Earps, who at least have a case of a good reputation, but Doc does not have that same uh, distinction. The prosecution argued that the Clantons were surrendering when the first shot was fired, and the Clantons were unarmed, which was... A false. False. (laughs) It became pretty clear that the Clantons were armed, and the judge pointed out that the Earps may have been reckless, but they had a real reason to believe that the Clantons were, in fact, trying to make a threat on their life. Because of this, they were set free. Holiday included, because he was technically deputized just before the fight, and so he was free to let go. It's pretty quiet in November and December 1881 until the very end of the month when Virgil Earp is shot just outside the Oriental Saloon. Virgil is due to stumble back into the Oriental Saloon and will eventually recover. However, his arm will be crippled the rest of his life. When they go outside and they see where the shots were fired, they believe they found Ike Clanton's hat. And it is widely believed that John Ringo was with Clanton when the shots were fired. However, As damning as it is finding his hat, that kind of is the only evidence they have. There isn't much else to go on. Well, why would his hat be just randomly right there as well, though? Right. I mean, I don't don't see why it wouldn't be Ike. Unless they planted it. They could have planted it, yes. That is a theory. It could have also been maybe Clanton just dropped his hat. The spot where the shots were fired. A big, a big quinky dink. Yeah, just a big quinky dink. Yep, that's exactly what happened. After the attack on his brother, Wyatt wired a U.S. Marshal asking to be appointed Deputy U.S. Marshal with authority to select his own deputies. And he is given that authority. He then instantly deputizes Morgan, Doc, as well as many others. So Doc Holliday is now a deputy marsh is now deputized <laughs> it's a horrifying thought isn't it <laughs> it is here where doc and johnny ringo have their almost dual i'm your huckleberry moment about to be q crazy montage q crazy montage uh yeah a couple months pass Uh, But it's relatively quiet until March 1882, when other white brother, when the other Earp brother is targeted. Morgan and Wyatt are playing pool late into the night when two shots are fired. 
One shot hit just above Wyatt's head, and the other found its target in Morgan's back. Morgan's wound are mortal, and he lays out dying on his in front of his brother on a pool table. Wyatt then used his brother's last moments to affirm that he would find those who did it and bring them to justice. Wyatt then goes on the vendetta ride that we're going to say for his episode, but Doc is there for most of the vendetta. Gary Roberts suggests that this is the first time in Doc's life where he's actually part of something bigger than him, and he takes a fair amount of pride in it. Together, they possibly kill Curly Bill Brocious, and they hunt down the other cowboys that Wyatt believed to help plan the murder of his brother. Then this is where the story kind of takes a turn for Wyatt and Doc. They have a falling out over something. Holiday may have been upset that Wyatt was wearing a steel plate or essentially some type of armor when he was going into the fight, believing that Doc and Wyatt should be taking the same risk. And apparently Doc was very upset over this. The second story, Doc called Wyatt a Jew boy who was either trying to insult Wyatt or this is a signal signal that Wyatt had actually started his affair with a Jewish woman named Josephine Sarah Marcus, who would later be his wife. If you remember that, I mentioned that very briefly as he was rumored to be Sheriff Johnny Behan's uh, affair with the actress and rumored prostitute. So, right. So he stole her. Yeah. And an affair himself. Yes. Which is probably why uh, Behan was not too thrilled with Wyatt. At the start, anyway. What is known is that Doc does leave the posse. It's unsure if he left in anger or if he left in disappointment or for any other reason. And I think it's also fair to point out that Doc still does have tuberculosis that is on setting and getting harder every day. So the hard riding and the climate uh, and the hard going probably is affecting his health a little bit more than the other men. The Earp Posse will continue its vendetta for a while longer, but we need to cut off from that as Doc is going to head his way to Denver, Colorado, where he is almost immediately arrested by a man named Allen. Do you want to guess why? Drunk gambling? No. Malin accuses Doc of killing his partner seven years ago in Utah. Have we mentioned Utah in this episode? Mm, no. Yeah, sure haven't, because Doc, you can say a lot of things about him. He really wasn't in Utah. <laughs> So Malin probably read a couple newspapers and then allegedly may have been talking to a Sheriff John Behan in Tombstone. Of... So that when he sees that doc, kind of a shady guy. Yeah. So when Malin puts those things together, he then maybe fabricated the story of killing of doc killing his partner seven years ago. And it's found out pretty quick and even in the time. Like, this really isn't a charade uh, that's even bought in long for at the time. So 
So with this alleged deal with Behan, they believe they want to send Doc back to Arizona. But obviously, Doc doesn't want to go. Because if he goes back to Tombstone, he is likely a dead man. Like, it's just going to be over because Behan will take every opportunity to kill him. Best if it's at a hangman's noose, but even better if it's just kind of happens. While sitting in his jail cell, Doc would tell reporters of the conspiracy to bring him back to Tombstone. And that if the decision was made for Doc to be sent to Arizona, that Doc would attempt to flee and would honestly be and Doc would tell several reporters during this time of the conspiracy to bring him back to Tombstone. And that if the decision was to return him to Arizona, he would flee because he would rather be killed by an honest man here than by a man by Sheriff Behan in Arizona. The case becomes very public, but the governor won't actually release Doc back to Arizona. Why? Because according to Bat Masterson, <laughs> Masterson apparently gave fake charges to the governor to keep Holiday in the state. So do you remember Bat Masterson, the guy that doesn't like Doc Holiday? Yeah. Well, now Bat Masterson is taking credit for him not being sent to Colorado. He invents charges to the talking to the governor. They invent charges. Uh, well, I shouldn't say they invent charges. There was probably some type of charge that lasted from a couple from a years back, and that's why they held him. But it was kind of a wink and a nod agreement. Now, I wouldn't reject this this story wholeheartedly because it does actually come from a biographer on Bat named Robert DeArmond, who apparently that's a very very good. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but apparently Robert DeArmond uh, wrote a very good book on Bat Masterson, and he says that the story is probably true. So take that with what you will. Right. The next few years pass relatively calm for Doc, who is just gambling, drinking, and well, he honestly can't do too much else because tuberculosis is in its advanced stages. And as we get close to 1886, the old gunslinger has one more fight in him. Doc owes a man named Billy Allen money. Do you want to take a guess how much money Billy Al Doc owed Billy? $20. Five. He owed him five bucks. Even worse. Alan either is that desperate for money or just wants to bully a famous gunslinger and threatens to beat Doc up in public if he doesn't pay by the next Monday or the next Tuesday. However, when Alan sees Doc Monday night at midnight, Alan says to Doc, it's time to pay. And then just simply walks out of the saloon letting Holiday sweat it out until the next day. A frail Holiday partners with a man named Sweeney, and they wait at a nearby saloon until the next day, and they wait for Alan to come around. When Alan shows his face to Doc, Alan immediately goes for his pocket, which you would assume he is going for his gun. It is reasonable to assume that. Doc goes for his pistol, 
and shoots. But of course he misses because he's a terrible shot and also incredibly <laughs> sick at this point. He caught Alan <laughs> I'd like to think Alan just like there were probably a couple shots and Alan's just standing there like, I'm not even afraid. Like, go ahead, hit me if you can. He's looking around. This guy's serious? Uh, <laughs> is this guy serious? Are we in a gunfight? What is <laughs> God? I think he's actually trying to kill me. So anyway, one bullet must have come close enough because Alan just drops to the floor where Doc able, is able to get off another shot and hits Alan in the arm. Doc then sits back down at his table and waits for the police to come around and then just turns over his revolver when he was asked. So Doc doesn't even put up a fight. He shoots the guy. Alan like runs after being shot in the arm. And then Doc just kind of sits down and goes, well, yes, that's good enough. I'm just going to wait for the police to come up. He is then arrested and charged with assault with intent to kill. And his bond is set at $5,000. This time, public opinion is on Doc's side. Probably for the first, well, probably the second time since he didn't get released back to Arizona, but the sympathy is with Doc. And he is eventually acquitted, believing that Alan had threatened Doc enough in the last several months to make Doc believe he was in true danger of his life. But as you would imagine, Denver, high up in the mountains, is not a particularly great place for a man to live with tuberculosis. The high altitude messed with his lungs and was light and likely sped, sped up the deterioration of his health. As it turns from 1886 to 1887, Doc and Wyatt meet one final time to reminisce how about the good old days. The two men depart in tears as Wyatt says how strange it was that Doc should be the one to go first and that he was originally saved by Doc in his Dodge City days. Doc would tell Wyatt just as he left, Goodbye, old friend. It will be a long time before we meet again. And near the fall of 1887, he falls into a delirium. And after 24 hours of not speaking, Doc Holliday dies on November 8th, 1887. With Kate by his side. No, no, she's gone. She's long. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't re I didn't write down when they officially uh, left, but I'm assuming when she framed him for the <laughs> robbery, I'm sure that took a hit, but they were seen together after that. One more chance, Kate. One more chance. I mean, <laughs> you tried to put me away, but I'll give you one more chance. One more chance. And yeah. But dang, he lived a long time with tuberculosis, let me tell you. Well, only lived to be like 36. I think he yeah, caught it. He had like, it in his 20s. Yeah. It was like 10 years, which isn't unheard of. But yeah, it's he gave it a go. That's for sure. And now it is our solemn duty to rank him. Rank, rank, rank. We're gonna rank the dark holiday. I am just waiting for my... All right, first round. Are you satisfied? This is our biography round where we'll be handing out negative 10 points apiece to positive 10 points apiece, depending on how well we liked his story. Matt. Uh, uh, it was good. I thought, I, you know, I don't know. He is he 
before we get into actual scores, is he a good guy or bad guy? <laughs> I think he is. A... I don't think he's a bad guy, but he's not a good guy. See, I'm feeling pretty firm. He's on... bad. See, it all depends on whose side you go on. Right. What side but are you going? He did on? a lot of bad things. He did do a lot yes, of bad things did. before he even got to Tombstone. Yes. You know, I mean, how many years was it? Uh, four, I think you said, where he just moved, gamble, fight, arrested, leave. I mean, let's be honest. That was pretty much his entire adult life. I just skimmed the first, you know, five years or so <laughs> and then I'm really focused be a on dentist. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> um,. I I think he was part of the stage uh, coach robbery though. Do you? It's just Why? convenient. Conveniently, the poker match he was going to just happened to. I'd be like, got there and it ended already. I'd be like, be let's fair. go to this town. Let's go to this town. Did this man walk in this t- wherever the poker was held? Did he? Well, I think he got word. Like, it was canceled. Before. I think on the way there, I think they ran into someone that said it was canceled. Wink. Wink. <laughs> By the way, here's a revolver. Do you want to go rob the stagecoach? <laughs> and, I mean, if you believe the story, too, he did rob that dude of 15K. Supposedly. I think that's Allegedly. clearly a fake story. Allegedly. But Allegedly. I will um, say, I do not believe he is part of the stagecoach robbery because I, I think he was more of a... Because that takes planning to do, to rob a stagecoach, and Doc doesn't seem like a planner to me. He was a follower. He was, but who was he following in the stagecoach robbery? Um, His two friends. Maybe. Whose name escapes me right now. Maybe the friend he was following was Wyatt Earp. Earp. Dun, dun, dun! I don't believe that either, but... Overall, the, to be fair, I don't believe that either. Um, I think overall, I mean, he did kind of start the shooting at the OK Corral too, right? Who knows? It might have been prevented, but he had, had, just had to whip out a shotgun. I mean, Go when ahead. you have a shotgun, you got to use it. Right? I didn't bring this here to not use it. <laughs> it's such a it matched my gun belt i had it was a nice accessory overall though i'm gonna say negative six and a half interesting what about you you gave john ringo negative 7.5 you're more Did interested that. in john you're giving john ringo yeah but john but. ringo we talked a lot. He was his. It was always overall story that involved like a thousand people. That's true. He wasn't the main character. And Tombstone was the real character of of his episode. I I I like so like. I understand Doc Holliday is a bad guy. I'm still going to go negative score, but I do like the story. Like I like the the relationship he had with Kate Elder. I like all of the crazy stories of this madman who would just walk into bars and just shoot randomly, hoping to hit something incredibly drunk. Um, I love it. 
We also got to remember the I'm your Huckleberry story still happened in this timeline. We just didn't talk about it in this episode. Well, it allegedly, it might have happened. Allegedly. I, I, I'm saying it happened definitively, but. First score, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, not a lot higher. I'm going to go negative eight and a half. Because it does have a beloved movie after it. And I think it lives up to that movie. And I think his story is just as good as the movie, if not better. Total score of negative 15. Next round. Be sure you are right. Then go ahead. This is our morality round. We're going to be handing out negative 10 points piece to positive 10 points piece, depending on how good we thought he was morally. He was not a moral person. Yeah. He's very shooty. Shoot first. Ask questions later. I mean, and he also gambled a lot, drank a lot, got into fights a lot, got arrested a lot. I mean, yes, he did. Did some shady stuff. Do you I'm think gonna... if the, do you think oh. he would be like the fun drunk uncle, like Heck where everyone no. knows like because I think he... when he was drunk his temper would come out. Apparently, well, apparently that was a coin flip. If you remember, very <laughs> <briefly>. <laughs> he's either very jovial or the worst person you could get. But I mean, with how much he got arrested and stuff, I I feel like it was more oftentimes than not the bad, the bad. Holiday. That's fair. The bad JH. The bad JH. All right. John Henry. I'm going to say very disappointed. <laughs> um, I'm going to do negative six. Negative six. What about you? I mean, it's clearly negative. You can't shoot your gun that often without. Uh, and I'm trying to and think, with like, such disregard, like not a care in the world. That saloon where he just opened fire, hoping to hit that guy. I think his last name was White, right? Yes. Uh, before I went to Tombstone. You also right. like what? So typically I go when I'm thinking of of this round, I always think of like, what are some positives that he does? And you can't think of any. Like, what are the real positives of Doc Holliday? We're also forgetting uh, he may have shot at black people because they were using his favorite swimming hole. Right. I forgot about that. Uh, now, there is speculation. Is that because he truly believed? Did he really? Was he really that racist or was he rebelling against his father? And I guess either way, does it matter? Right. He still did no. It. Yeah. Like we have the joke bomb, which again, you can't confirm he was there, but you can kind of confirm he was there. Like there's really no like charming story. Like where's the positive? Like I'm trying to find a single positive thing we talked about today. And I don't think I can find it. So I'm trying to think who. I'm going to go negative eight again because I, again, I don't, I don't even know why I'm going negative eight, probably because he's not the absolute worst. It's, I don't believe he killed, well, we'll go into how many people he killed, but yeah, I'm going to go negative eight, which gives him a score of negative 14. Next round to hell with the consequences. We're going to be handing out uh, negative 10 points piece to positive 10 points piece, depending on if we think he was more crazy or more clever. 
he was definitely not clever. No. <laughs> I don't think he was that crazy, though. I really don't. Yeah. Maybe he's just like a little goofy. I mean, how much do you blame on how much do you like the the famous the famous uh, like version of him is. Or the famous stereotype of him is how how much did he not care because he was dying of tuberculosis? Oh, I guess so. Like he just didn't give a crap. He knew he was dying. He was going to die. So like why just take all these risks? If you get shot, I guess you're going to die now or die, you know miserably from tuberculosis right because it gets worse and worse yeah that's the one they called consumption back in the day right yes okay yep. i thought you said that earlier too um i'm gonna do negative two i don't think that's a bad score Because I can't even think of clever. I think he was witty. It sounds like he was funny. But clever. No, no, it's not. I think he's definitely more crazy. So you're going to go negative two. I think he's to just walk in and just shoot. Um, Oh, yeah, he did that a few times. huh? So like, I think it's I I'm going to go a lot more than that, I think. I think I'm going to go negative six, but I'm also wondering how much. Like, I, I'm not going to blame tuberculosis on why that wasn't happening, but does it matter at the end of the day? Like, he just went in and just read. He would shoot first, ask question later. It's like, does that matter necessarily? So I'm going to. Right. Because I guess um, if you do have tuberculosis or whatever that doesn't give you an excuse like, Oh, I'm going to die anyways. Yeah. That doesn't give you an excuse to just be like, ah, I'm going to go crazy and do whatever right. I want. It's an explanation for it, but it doesn't make it better. So right. are you sticking with your negative two? Oh, yes. Fair enough. <laughs> with all that being said, yes, absolutely. I'm not budging from my it. original judgment and that, you know, that's fine. Cause I, I do like it when we like disagree and, as much, I mean, your Billy the Kid score was bad enough for me to like. I wanted to change. No, it, it wasn't. It will never. You be changed bad. it, so it was bad. It was bad, and you should feel bad. But anyway, we're past that. So I do <laughs> actually like it when we disagree a little bit. Uh, and it's not like we're disagreeing a whole lot here. I just think he's a lot crazier. So with that, he has negative eight into hell with the consequences, which gives him a cumulative score so far of negative thirty-seven. From here on out. We will be continuing to subtract from his score. If he had been positive 37, we would continue to add to his score. As we go on to our next round, draw. If Matt and I got into a gunfight with Doc Holliday, how screwed are we? Not very. He can't hit the broad side of a He would definitely pull the gun. I think we'd get the gun pulled on us a couple of times, but he ain't hitting us. I'm saying like a one. Oh, I'm going higher than that because, I mean, a blind squirrel finds a nut. You fire enough shots, you're going to hit a target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he that guy fell on the ground. And all he had to do was point at him, and he still only hit him in the arm. Right. Um, and it's not like he never killed a person. But, I mean, he definitely hit someone in the, in the OK Corral shootout. So I'm going to go significantly higher than a negative one. I'm going to go at least negative six, but the reason it's not negative. Well, it would be like a negative eight or nine. If he had good accuracy, 
Because he would shoot He's you. Drunk all the time. He would shoot you. That's not a question. If only if you if only we could enter a simulation. Yeah, well, it's, we are the simulation. This is what we're doing here. So, I, yeah, I am going negative <laughs> six again because I think like you must be much more comfortable about gunfire going around your head at all times uh, than I am because he will fight you. It just it, and he will hit you e- eventually. I'll be a faster shot. Uh, you won't though, because apparently he was quick to the draw too. <laughs> Again, your your bravado. I mean, talking to William Clark, giving him a two. Not that William Clark was the worst, but you calling out William Clark to the duel ground, and now <laughs> you. So let me get this: you are telling me you gave Sacagawea a zero, and you are <laughs> one point. More intimidated than Doc Holliday. I am not intimidated by Ooh, this. Ooh, that's a bad. Okay, that's fine. It's fine. I just said <laughs> I like it when we disagree, but woofda. Ooh, strong disagree with that. I've shot weapons before, too. I've shot pistols and everything as well. You probably have the same accuracy of Doc Holliday. Hey, 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 hey. I shoot sharpshooter. Okay. 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 I don't believe you. Listen, all the video games I play, mm-hmm. it says I'm a crack shot, okay? Uh-huh. Does your mother also say you're a special boy? <laughs> and just how handsome you are. <laughs> you, leave my mo- you leave my mom out of this. I love Julie. Of course I won't. All right. Negative, negative one from Matt. Send your hate, your ads. You're not on Twitter. Uh, message him for, for that score. Negative seven for draw. I'm almost speechless. I'll be honest with you. I am shocked <laughs> by negative one. I should go to zero because that's how intimidated I am, but I'm sticking with oh, my one. Oh, Jesus. Well, next next round, legacy. How well known is Doc Holliday? We're handing out points from zero to ten. Hot take, Jackson. Why don't you hit him with a three and see what happens? <laughs> so it's kind of funny. While you were recording, I I wanted to kind of see. I wanted to kind of gauge the people uh, I knew. So I sent out a group chat and said, "Who's heard of Doc Holiday?" And I the responses I got were uh, me with like a laughing face, and then a couple other people said I have, and then one guy went. He's a dentist. See? So they even know he's a dentist. He's a happy little dentist. I don't think he's like the most fa- oh, He's, but besides White Earp, I think he's the most well known of the, the OK Corral stuff. Yeah. Even more so than his brother. I think that's fair. Because when you think when you think of the Earps, you think of Wyatt, and then it's Virgil and Morgan after that. But I think that's fair to go Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Morgan, Virgil. I bet if we asked people, they wouldn't even know name, be able to name the other herbs. Yeah, probably not. Unless they've seen Tombstone. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and give them a nine. Eight and a half. Okay. Eight and a half. What about you? Point five. Oh, here comes hot take Nicholson. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think. You gave Sacagawea an eight. I just like doing this for my own context to see. So I 
I'll do your scores first because I'm also going to look at other scores I've given. Yes, Sitting Bull an eight and a half. So that's an identical score, correct? Yeah, so you give an identical score to Sitting Bull. I think Sitting Bull's a little bit more popular. You think? Well, yeah, I also gave him a nine, so a little more popular. Uh, Custer, you gave a negative 10. That's fair. And let's just go towards negative seven to James Bowie. I don't think you're far off. I think he's of the most famous shootout in American West history. He is a major player in it, or at least a well-known name. How much credit do you give that to the Tombstone movie? Probably quite a bit. But at the same time, does it matter? <laughs> same argument I've already used twice. Um, I'm going to go negative seven and a half. Which gives him a score of negative 16. Death bonus. Next, ra- next round, death bonus. How does he have a cool death story? We're going to be handing out bonus points from zero to two. I'm going to say zero. Yeah, I mean, do you want to count, does a slow death of tuberculosis, and maybe that's the reason he gets so crazy? No. It's just I mean, dying. Dying of a disease is not awesome. No. It's not a cool, you know. That is fair. I buy that reasoning. I'm also going to go zero then. I was going to go like a half point, but that's a solid, solid argument you make. Next round, counting coup, his confirmed-ish kills. Then we're going to divide that number by 10. Take a guess. Three. Up to three. The most commonly cited number is one to three. Really? Oh, we're spot on. Son of a little Crocky G Willikers. Look at you. I do say so. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. Put some shrimp on the old Bobby. So, do we want? Do you want to put the three so you are officially correct in the history annuals, or do we put two because it's in between one and three? I say two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I gave you a shot. (laughs) Negative two. Okay, that brings his total score. To a negative 60.2. Respectable. Very respectable. Who does that put him up against? Negative 60. Bass Reeves was a positive 62. Let's go, Bass Reeves. <gasps> did we? We did not tell people about that, did we? Oh, no. Uh-uh. So, sidebar, everyone. Sorry. Uh... Do you remember in our Bass Reeves episode, we talked about hell on the border. There was a woman who on our Instagram commented, uh, I made a post about Bass Reeves saying, I wish there was more on him. And one of the actresses in hell on the border actually mess it, like made a comment on our post saying, Hey, you should check out hell on the border, this movie. And not realizing that in that episode, I said it wasn't a very good movie. Well, she said uh, her comment was, watch the movie Hell on Hell on the Border. And then, yeah, she was an actress in it. Her name was Ashley Atwood. Yeah. Um, Shout out, I, Ashley. Woo. Yay. You're not listening to this, Ashley, nor will you ever, especially if you listen to that Bass Reeves episode. Um, 
I don't, it wasn't anything to do with the actor's portrayal. I, well, it kind of was, but I think it was a bad, wasn't the greatest script. Anyway, let's move on. We had an actress comment on our post and it was kind of awkward for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So if this happens during Tombstone, which I love Tombstone, it's a great movie. Uh, Sorry, Kate Elder, whoever played you. Um, It was Joanna Pakula. Joanna Pakula. Gunzuntite. <laughs> and now we must draft him. As you know, the draft. Eric and I each have a team consisting of 20 figures. At the end of every figure, we draft them using a coin because we're so innovative. Eric flips it. Heads, tails, I call it. Whoever gets it gets to decide if they're on their team or not. After both our teams are drafted, everyone else will go to a free draft or a free. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? After the draft, every after both our drafts are full, everyone will go into the free agent pool where we can add drop whoever we want. And at the end, of course, we have the big battle royale NCAA bracket style. All the way to decide not only who's the best figure, but who's better at drafting, Eric or myself. So, Eric, flip that coin! So, before I flip, just looking at our teams, because I, I needed I needed Meriwether Lewis really bad. You were starting to run away from it, in my opinion, when you took Crazy Horse and Custer. But since I got Bass Reeves and Meriwether Lewis... I feel like we're pretty, we're even. And this is a big name. Now, keep in mind, we also did making way for Doc Holiday. We did <laughs> drop last week's into the free agent. Our first strategic drop. <laughs> uh, we politely... Let's be real. He was not making any of our teams. No, he wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, we politely declined the services of Johnny Ringo. Because if you remember, did. though, I no one no one drafted Tenth Katawa either. That's true. We did pick him up uh, much later, but um, so you never know. So well, I, I do know because the numbers are dwindling, and both our teams are getting full. So there will be more and more people going into the free agent pool. Yeah, they will. We're both. This will be the twelfth member on each of our teams. Which so it's a big flip. Is what I'm saying. It's a lot of build up. Because I think whoever has Doc Holiday, I think they have a slight edge on their team. That's why I'm going with heads. Uh, I believe that's heads. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's heads. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. It was a little blurry, so I'm glad. So you're passing. So you're passing? You know what? I'm going to go ahead and not pass because Doc Holiday is mine. The guy I know for a fact I can beat in a duel. Is why I'm drafting. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> he will have an issue with that. Dang it. Dang it. Hey, there's still some more. There's still some goodies left, right? There, there is. And what a wonderful segment because we can go into who we're going to be covering up the next two episodes. Uh, we're not leaving Arizona <laughs> at all. Alluded to it last episode. I actually said who we were covering. The next two episodes, we're going to be still in Arizona, but we're going to be covering what the Apaches have been up to. Because they're very busy boys as well. We will be covering Cochise and Geronimo. So 
big name. Cochise and Geronimo, two big names actually, because I know I've heard of both of them. You've heard of Cochise? That surprises me a lot, actually, because I barely have heard of Cochise before, not too long ago, actually. I couldn't so, tell you what he did, but I've heard the name. Well, it's Cochise County, so you hear it during elections during the United States, in the U.S. And Dang, like I s- County. He does. He's very infl- so like maybe he's a sleeper. And then you have Geronimo, obviously a big name. Does the name recognition alone get him drafted? I'm getting Geronimo. Are you? Yep. Geronimo. Well, the good or bad news for me is since you're one up now, you can't draft them both without me passing. You will have to I right. I, I will have to get the opportunity to take one of them. Yep. Because if you get, if you're up two, the other person automatically gets first dibs. Yep. I got a plan. I got a plan. Don't I you do. Worry. I do think I am going to like this version rather than before we were just picking because why not? We had a bunch of roster space and all that stuff. But now, like, I think the strategy, this is what I'm really going to enjoy from here on out is now we're getting. Yeah. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. And hey, next week is our 25th fifth figure no this is 25 that's doc holiday i mean 26th figure yeah. that means it's a full year it's been 52 weeks it has been it also means we're like a third done over a third done it's insane pew 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 that's my guns shooting in the air pew 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's here. And actually, we can, when's this episode dropping? It is dropping. October. So we would. 18. When this episode drops, we will uh, have already actually recorded a bit of a fun piece of uh, stuff that's very vague. That for was our long. year celebration. For, so, yes. Right? So when this drops. Uh, if you haven't, we haven't talked about it a whole lot, but we actually have a YouTube page, which honestly just has our, our episodes up right now. But maybe before our one year anniversary, which I believe is November 2nd, maybe go hit a subscribe over there because maybe there will be something really fun dropping as a video that we will also be dropping via podcast the audio right yes but it won't be as but it will not be it will 100 not be as fun as watching you, you will want to watch YouTube. the video it's where i have been really excited i'm really excited to like post it i know we're being very mysterious but go subscribe us on youtube um i think it's going to be really fun and if it goes well it's probably going to be a reoccurring thing so Really? Not every week, but we would like to, you yeah, know, keep Space things Mountain. exciting. Pew, pew, pew. A bit of fun with history. Isn't that what And if you don't know what we look like, you'll get to see what we look like. I so mean, maybe, that's always fun. So maybe blank off our square on the cameras because this isn't pretty. I would like to, Matt and I are basically millennial starter kits. We're uh, <laughs> mid-30s, tattoos, beards. Um I enjoy an IPA. <laughs> How to be a millennial 101? 
<laughs> Essentially, yes. I, I'm not. I don't think I'm unique anymore. I just think I'm a basic millennial. Hip hip. Anyway, we've alluded the pumpkin lattes at the Halloween time. Actually, those are disgusting, but I do like a latte. <laughs> hey, that cold, that pumpkin cold foam is actually pretty decent. Oh, yeah. I like. I like. No, 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 no. You've had a lot of hot takes today. You know this the is, best thing that I absolutely love is pumpkin muffin, pumpkin muffins with the cream cheese frosting. Okay, oh, those are so fine. Good. It's not that I don't like pumpkin. I do like pumpkin. I just don't like it in my coffee. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I I quit coffee, so there's nothing I can have it in anymore. I couldn't. Anyway, go subscribe to us on YouTube. We've bantered on a long... This is a long episode to begin with. Uh, really excited for that, so go, go check us out. Remember, if you like what you heard today, go ahead and like and subscribe. Leave us a comment on whatever podcast service you are listening on. Uh, we really appreciate it. And you can always check out our website, ranking76.wordpress.com, where you will find a link to all of our social media, our email. You can see the scorecards. You can check out the other episodes you may have missed. Um, we really appreciate it. But until next time. I'm Eric. And I am Matt. Hasta la vista.